Do you know anybody making under six figures a year who likes the new Yankee Stadium? <laughs> I would say no. You know, there are people that I know that have come to New York um, and didn't go to the old Yankee Stadium and maybe found it. I mean, it's a fancy shopping mall, right? I mean, it, there, there's not much more to, to say about the new Yankee Stadium than that. But, um, you know, the biggest problem I have with the new Yankee Stadium, it's not that it's overly nice. It's not the really douchey moat by the legend seating area, although that's bad. <laughs> It's the upper deck is my biggest problem with the with the new Yankee Stadium because what made the old Yankee Stadium, uh, while it was a shithole, it made it really um, a great environment was that the upper deck hung out basically right on top of the field, and I don't know why they got rid of that with the new one, but the upper deck is so far back, um, it just totally takes away from from the environment, and then the the the, the bleachers are back too with the the bullpen kind of right there. So between those two things, I think it just makes it way too cavernous. Yeah. I think it's the way that they build almost all the new parks now, actually, it's, uh, to avoid like any obstructed views in the lower decks where the really rich people sit. They, it's not just, they push it up high, but then they, yeah, as you say, they push it back further and further so that there's no overhang on anybody who, you know, is in the douchey moat, which really should be, yeah. the, it's, it should be like the Audi douchey moat just to make it the most perfect Yankee stadium name. You, you can't have the peons in the first row of the upper deck dropping beer or popcorn <laughs> on you. That's why they, that's why they did it. And, and it's not even the, I, I do think I remember when I was sitting in the mezzanine of the old stadium that there you can kind of, it was a little obstructed because you do have the upper deck overhanging it. But I mean, you really couldn't tell from the lower level, but you're probably right. It, they probably wanted a, a hierarchy and, and obviously they built that second level of luxury suites, of course, into the, the mezzanine and this new one. So that's part of it too. Um, yeah. But the concourses are a lot bigger, you know, can move around the stadium a lot better. I mean, there's some cool aspects, and I, I also don't like what they did with Monument Park, too. Um, felt much more bland than the old one. Yeah, it's it's almost like it's a hidden cave uh, in the new ballpark. Mm. It's, it's in that area, yeah. like, beneath, you know, the 10,000th stadium club in the park in center field. And they just kind of decided. And the thing about Mo the new Monument Park that really gets me more than anything else, and I remember when they unveiled it, uh, when they pulled out the Steinbrenner Monument, and I, my, I thought going into that night that you know it's already kind of outrageous enough to me that George Steinbrenner is going to be getting a monument treatment the same that Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Casey Stengel and like legit all time greats of the game got, and deservedly so they got. And so it felt like Steinbrenner was intruding. And then when they pulled off the, uh, the black cloth to unveil it, and you realized Steinbrenner's monument is five times bigger than Babe goddamn Ruth's. That would, I mean, it, it sums up the new park better than anything else, but also what the hell, man? And, and it, I mean, it's not just his monument. He has that whole wall in the back of the bleachers now. Yep. And I sit there often too, like, if you want to stand there, it's a, it's a good kind of stand and drink beer and just have an excuse to stand up spot is to get that last row and the bleachers back there. Um, but yeah, it's very over the top. Um, it is definitely the house that George built and they did a lot because he was whatever in the throes of dementia as they were, as they were opening up that, that new stadium. Um, but yeah. And, and I think city field on the other side of town is definitely a better stadium. It's not, doesn't have the mess feel to it. 
but um, I wonder if Steve Cohen's going to do something with that, with the colors and the color scheme, I think is kind of the biggest issue with City Field, just because it doesn't feel Mets. Yeah, the Mets fans I know have been crying out for years to try to make it more team-centric as opposed to a Brooklyn Dodgers nostalgic throwback that uh, the Wilpons yeah. inflicted on it, which, you know, I mean, if you're going to throw back nostalgically to, to another team, you probably can't go wrong with Brooklyn, considering Ebbets Field was kind of amazing. But, uh, but yeah, City Field uh, has always, to me, felt more like a baseball park as opposed to a place that's meant to convey the message, we're the fucking Yankees, what are you going to do about it? It's, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it feels somewhere between like Nationals Park and Target Field. Mm-hmm. And so many of those stadiums, like I guess we can talk about this, so many of those stadiums, like Nationals Park and um, the Philly Stadium, um, like just kind of feel the same to me. And I feel like City Field, it's a great theme. It kind of feels like one of those stadiums that are just like the same it's like when they built those stadiums in the, the 60s or 70s with just the the bowls and they were all they were all the same stadium um yeah. it's kind of the era has come around a little bit yeah len casper the cubs play-by-play guy is very much in agreement with what you just said he, he expresses it on the air quite a bit actually that because so many ballparks have been built in the past two decades all along the lines of the idea of building a baseball only facility and usually involving some kind of throwback element to it or uh, something that, that calls back to stadiums from half a century ago that he feels that a lot of them now are, if not the same, it's, it's, it's a different kind of cookie cutter to him. And he finds, and I think this is fascinating, that when he goes to a place like Oakland, that giant mausoleum of concrete where the dugouts overflow with sewage, he says... I love this because it's now the only place left that's a vestige yeah. of 1960s baseball architecture. And I can kind of understand that, honestly, because it, it now, I mean, through, through attrition, now the terrible Coliseum kind of stands out as a classic almost. Yeah, yeah I guess technically, yeah, I guess you could. It's probably, ooh, it's got to be one of the, one of the probably like the six or eight oldest parks in baseball, right? The Coliseum Absolutely. at this point? Yes. Yeah, I would say, I think it's six oldest if, it's okay. uh, Wrigley Fenway, Dodger Stadium, Angel Stadium. It might be fifth, actually. Now. Camden is Camden. Uh, where when was Camden built? Camden was ninety-one, and okay. I, I would guess that that makes it probably close to tenth oldest at this point, off the top of my okay. head. Uh, yeah, because it's yeah, it's kind of nuts. But uh, yeah, let's um, let me one more question before we do the show open uh, off of this subject. Is there anything about the new Yankee Stadium? Uh, you mentioned the concourse, but anything that you that you really really like about it? It's easy to rag on it, but oh yeah, um, I, the, the food is pretty good. Um, the garlic fries at Yankee Stadium mm. is is are are, are really good. Um, I said the, the the concourses are nice. Um, they built on a personal note. They built outside the stadium a Metro North line that runs from the suburbs where I grew up. Um, to straight to Yankee Stadium, which is definitely a new aspect and, and, and that I like. But um, I do think it'll age well. Like, I don't think it's going to be a ballpark that breaks down um, quickly. I think it'll, it'll age. In terms of the looks of it, it'll age fairly well. It cost a billion and a half dollars. It goddamn it better. It should age well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, with that, yeah, let's jump on into it. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 53, the Buck O'Neill episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and stand-up comedian who is occasionally doing stand-up and loving it. The other voice you're hearing on this particular episode is a sports TV freelancer, mostly with CBS Sports on, on the NFL and NCAA college basketball studio shows, and was recently featured a few months ago in Outsports as one part of our Courage is Contagious series. Theo Rabinovitz is here. Thank you for joining us, Theo. Ken, thanks so much for having me. I feel bad that I was preempted by my fellow Jew named Theo last week. <laughs> It feels a little bit like cannibalism in that sense that, uh, you know, can't have Jew named Theo on Jew named Theo crime there. But <laughs> I mean, honestly, the, the, it, I wish that you weren't because that would mean that Theo, your other Theo, is still running the Cubs. And I'm still kind of still kind of going the, the Diddy route and and I'll be missing him. Uh, I could have gone the everything but the girl missing him like the deserts miss the rain. But that's an even older reference. But, uh, but yeah, it's good to have you on two weeks later and uh, also on a night where the Cubs are making news and it's not good. And uh, before we kind of delve into the major subject we're going to hit on this episode, I wanted to say just a couple of things because uh, we were recording this on Wednesday evening. And about an hour ago, the Cubs made it official that they are non-tendering Kyle Schwarber this offseason. It's not a complete surprise given the fact that Jed Hoyer and Tom Ricketts have both hinted strongly that there are going to be some pretty steep payroll cuts coming into this uh, offseason, forgetting the fact that, of course, Tom Ricketts is a billionaire many times over, but that's apparently neither here nor there at this point. It, that it, He's got an entire you know system underneath him, and yet nobody's employed to remind him that, by the way, you're worth literally several billions of dollars, and you can afford this, but you yeah, know. Uh, but I wanted to say just a couple quick things about Schwarbs, um, and you might be the beneficiary of this, Theo Rubinowitz, because uh, that swing would be phenomenal with the right field porch at Yankee Stadium. Um, but the Cubs back in 2016, uh, at the third game of the season, Kyle Schwarber was chasing after a, a double that had split the gap in left center field. And he and Dexter Fowler kind of moved awkwardly to avoid colliding with one another. And Kyle Schwarber in that move tore up a major part of his knee and was carted off the field. And in previous regimes, you look at that and go, that would be as Lou Pinella used to call it a cubby occurrence. And in the third game of the season, that was supposed to be the year where the Cubs would be finally putting this awful drought to bed there could not be a worse omen than to have the guy who came on the scene in the middle of 2015 and just lit the hell up, hit the damn roof of the right field video board against the Cardinals in game four of the NLDS and kind of became the symbol of the Cubs resurgence at the end of that year out for the year. And the Cubs that year, as you well remember, needed a seemingly infinite number of miracles to win the 2016 world series. And there is no greater miracle in my book than the fact that Kyle Schwarber was able to come back and DH and kind of destroy Cleveland pitching. And it turned out that they needed him every, every game that he was able to start in, uh, in that World Series because he was a major, major offensive contributor. And I still remember hearing the stories of him showing up at the Arizona Fall League as they were beating the Dodgers in the NLCS and just thinking that 
can't, I mean, sure, this is humoring him probably, but there's, there's no way. Like, even if he shows up to play, he's got one goddamn knee. You need two, usually, to play a World Series. And the fact that he was able to just be such a force in that postseason and then get start the biggest rally of every Cub fan's lifetime in that 10th inning with the single that he predicted during that rain delay was going to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm emotionally attached. And he's had his ups and downs since then. But he was very good in 2018, really, really good in 2019, and then kind of unfortunately cratered last year. But it's 60 games, and that's a 60-game sample. Uh, and I think whoever gets him this offseason – they're going to be in for something real good. And, and especially if he fits a park, like I think he does that Yankee stadium, like uh, you like Luke Voigt. Uh, Cause I think, I think you have the potential to get another one. If, if the Yankees want to swoop in and get Schwarber. That's been Cashman's that's been Cashman's MO these last few years. Right. Um, you know, certain, certainly going out and, and getting guys like Luke Voigt and, and Mike Ford that have come in and, this year, a couple of them um, um, underplayed what they did in 2019, but you're right. That, that would kind of be, you know, the, the move that's typically right up Cashman's alley. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a move that the Yankees need, given that they've already got so much power and so many of those types of hitters. Uh, but it's also a move the Yankees tend to do, regardless of whether they need it or not. Yes, it is. Uh, it, it, Yes, I mean it's um, you know what, what's the phrase? It's um, it's the the supply of riches there that the Yankees that the Yankees have. But you know there there are still a lot of uncertainties out there with um, you know the free agent market and what's going to happen here with uh, DJ going forward and, and a couple of our other guys and Gary um, Gary Sanchez going forward. So um, you know it, it always helps. And again, uh, this is Cashman's thing is to bring in the bat. I think the, the year the year before DJ LeMahieu came over. He had a down year. He uh, got reinvigorated a little bit. So um, I could definitely see, see that being a match. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, and good on you if it is, because I will be absolutely 100% rooting for Schwarbs wherever he ends up, assuming it's not St. Louis. Dear God, please don't be St. Louis. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so just wanted to kind of throw that out there because, uh, yeah, I'm feeling, having the feels right now a little bit. But, uh, but that is not why you called, Theo, because uh, this is something that, we set up actually, I think even before the abbreviated season started this year, because I had been doing uh, over the past few months before uh, baseball officially opened in J- July, uh, I was doing a weekly throwback Thursday, digging deep into my like old uh, Kodak camera archives and finding pictures of like 11 year old me at Cleveland Municipal Stadium and putting them up there. And I forget which one it was, but you at one point commented on one of my ballpark throwbacks that you wanted to uh, go through your list of, of favorites with me on this thing. And I, you know, I am always happy to talk baseball travels. So let me ask you this to start it off. Uh, how many have you been to? So I've been to 26 of the 30 current ones, although I guess the, ball, the new ballpark at Arlington would make it 25. because I was at the old ballpark at Arlington. Um, so the ones I haven't been to are obviously that new one, uh, Colorado, Detroit, Atlanta, and Miami. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you actually, you've got me beat. I am at uh, 21 current and, uh, I, I counted up 34 with all the ones that have been, uh, destroyed since, uh, humanely put down, I suppose. 
since I visited them. So uh, yeah, it's it it takes something to beat me, but uh, my hat is off to you, sir. That that's that's great. Uh, of the ones you have not visited, I think Detroit is the only one that I've been to, and uh, Comerica Park okay. is yeah, it's a real good one. Um, but it's also, and we'll get into this when we go into our lists here. Uh, it is not my favorite of the Detroit ballparks I've been to. That the funny you brought that up. That is the one old ballpark that I wish I had gone to was the old Tiger Stadium. Uh, yeah, and uh, I guess yeah. Yeah, let's, let's let's start it off there. Uh, Tiger Stadium, I've only been to once. Uh, when I was going to college at Kenyon College in Ohio, um, in the spring of '98, uh, my roommate and I did a three and a half hour road trip up to Detroit just to say that we could knock it off our lists, and I'm so glad we did. Um, it is the park that is no longer here that I miss the most. And uh, I ballparks that have like actual history to me always get elevated above, like even the best of the retro ones can't compete with Wrigley and Fenway in my book, just because this is where actual baseball stuff happened for decades. And just the, the experience of sitting in Tiger Stadium where there are so many seats that are so close to the field, not just in the lower, but in most of the upper deck too. And just kind of getting that sense of, holy shit, this is the place where Ty Cobb leaped into the stands and beat the shit out of a fan with no hands. Like knowing you're looking at that same field to me, that, that that's a special feeling. And, and Tiger Stadium showed its age. Like when we went up there, I think it was only three or two or three years away from, from being torn down at that point. And it looked like they hadn't really spent money to keep it up the way that the Red Sox and the Cubs have with their parks. But even so, uh, you just look at it and it's like, this is just an amazing place where so much cool stuff has happened. You look out at right field and you see like, that's the transformer Reggie Jackson hit in the 71 all-star game. And just a little bit to the right, that's the roof that Ted Williams hit to walk off the 41 all-star game. And the great Tigers teams of 68 and 84. And uh, yeah, it's, it was it's uh, number nine on my list uh, in terms of uh, my top 10. And uh, yeah, it is, it is one that I'm so glad I got to see that. uh, And I I think you'd have loved it. Yeah, it was, it was the short, the short uh, outfield fences for me that I really liked the, the, and it's sort of like the, the right field fence at, at Fenway, but like knowing that someone can run into that fence and just break their hip. (laughs) It was so short or just like break there or just just hit their thigh against it, that it was so short and could lean back and, and catch a ball. Um, but it was a throwback. And I think I'm typically not in big cavernous ballparks, but, um, but that's definitely one that I wish I could have kept because I, as you said, it, it just seemed very authentic to the, to the time it was built. Yeah. It, it looked cavernous because it was like a 50,000 seater, but yeah. even so the way it was built, um, it wasn't built cavernous the way like we just talked about with Yankee Stadium and all the new ballparks are because especially with the upper deck and, and out in right field and left field, they built it so that the first few rows of that upper deck actually hung out past where the outfield fence was. So it was not only much lower than because it didn't have all the suites, obviously. It was not just much lower, but it was actually closer to the actual field in certain parts of that upper deck, which is, which is just an amazing design. And there's no way in hell that anyone, as we talked about, would try to build something like that now. But it's it's one of the things that made it so unique. Uh, but yeah, um, just off of the subject of the ones that have been long torn down that I wish I'd, I'd have seen. This, this is way before my time. But 
I would have loved to have like gone to Ebbets Field or Crosley Field in Cincinnati or Shide Park in Philly or like the three that you see pictures of from like way back in the day and go, yeah, that's just neat. That That's just well done. Yeah, I would say, yeah, for me, it's the, the old New York ballpark, the really old Yankee Stadium before renovations, uh, Ebbets Field, Polo Ground. Um, you know, my dad went to Ebbets Field and Polo Ground and, and would tell me stories. So definitely would have loved to have hit those those couple ballparks when they were around. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, that that's great that your dad has that connection to him. But, uh, have you been to, I think it's the Ebbets Field. It's not a project, but it's low-income housing in Brooklyn. I don't think I have. I, I've heard, though, that they have the, the original home plate area and they have the base, the base areas marked off there, right? I think the, the old side of the polo grounds has it, too. Hmm. Um, they have, um, like, a, a, a home plate plaque or something uh, showing where um, the home plate was at the polo grounds as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, seen, I've um, seen the polo ground site from afar, but I didn't get close enough to find a plaque there. But I did visit the Ebbets Field uh, site bef- just before mm-hmm. I moved out of New York City. And I stood at where the, I found the home plate marker, and it's got like a nice note of this is the site where Jackie Robinson integrated baseball in 1947 on it. But the one thing that I really noticed about it is that standing on home plate and just kind of looking at the way the block is laid out and looking toward right field, I could hit the ball over that fence. <laughs> like it looks like it's about 200 right. feet away. It's, it's really like Fenway obviously is as close as it gets in terms of uh, the, the proximity of a giant wall to home plate. But even so that, that looks major league compared to what the Ebbets field footprint looked like. like it, that just wow. looked like the easiest home run you could hit. Uh, but let's, uh, let's start on your list. Uh, give me your number. Uh, we'll start either way. Number one or number 10. We'll go in whatever order you want. Uh, want to go number one? Yeah, let's, let's go. Top. Yep. All right. So I have, um, it's tough between one and two, but I have PNC in Pittsburgh as my number one. Excellent call. What about you? Yeah, uh, I'm going, I could not be more predictable or obvious, but Wrigley Field. I mean, Wrigley? yeah. Fair. Yeah. Uh, Fair. I, I, if, if you weren't, if you weren't a Cubs fan, what do you think? If you, do you think Wrigley would be number one truly if you removed emotion from it or it would be between it and Fenway yeah like as as I say the the history is is the the tiebreaker with me when it comes to like my my top five are going to be all like the ones everybody gets but uh but the two historical ballparks that that's what separates it out to me so if I weren't a Cub fan there there are certain parts of Fenway that really uh catch my eye like uh, you know obviously like everybody loved the monster loved the red seat uh, just the, the way it's configured and just how unique it is, especially growing up in the eighties and having it be the only park that looked like that was, was something real special. But I mean, Wrigley, I mean, you, you have just as many things you can name off the top of your head between the, the hand operated scoreboard, the Ivy, the brick wall underneath the Ivy, the rooftop surrounding the park. Um, let me just give you, uh, because there, I could go all day about it, but, uh, the best place in Wrigley Field, as far as I'm concerned, to see a baseball game, and not everybody knows this, but the upper deck box, if you can get that first section of the upper deck pretty much anywhere, but especially just to the left or right of home plate, you not only get just about uh, probably the best upper deck seating of anywhere that's left in baseball at this point, but you also get the entire panorama laid out before you, nothing obstructing your view. So you got all of the ivy in, in full bloom in, in summer, 
perfect view of the historic scoreboard and then you're in line with all the rooftops right in the area. Yeah, I was going to say you can see the rooftops, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. On, on the clearest day, you can see Lake Michigan beyond the Lakeshore Drive high rises. So it's a phenomenal view and there's, there's nothing else in baseball like it as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Yeah. The, the, I would say upper deck home plate is where I try and sit. Um, when I go to, to most ballparks, if I can't get a good, a good price kind of lower deck seat there. But, um, for the one time I was at Wrigley Field, I actually sat right below the stairs that lead up to the press box and, um, saw John Lovitz who sang, take me out to the ball game that day, going up and down those stairs. Um, so yeah, we're very satisfied with that. And yeah, I mean, I, I think I put Wrigley over Fenway slightly just because Wrigley does feel a little more authentic than Fenway. Um, they both have, I include in my rankings kind of the atmosphere around the ballpark too. And they both have awesome atmospheres. I mean, the Fenway neighborhood around the park is amazing. And Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville and an extra point for, for Boys Town for us being very, very oh, yes. close. So, oh, yes. um, so um, they both have unbelievable atmospheres, but I would just say Wrigley is, is a little more authentic, and I think a, a little less feels less cap feels a little more intimate than, yeah, it is. than Fenway does. And that's right, yeah, yeah, it is because Fenway because it's mostly that one deck. Uh, some of those seats, yeah. especially out in far right field, go way the hell back, mm. and Wrigley does not have seats that are that don't face home plate either, which is also another point in its favor. Um, yeah. But yeah, in, in terms those of pillars, those yeah. pillars will get you at Fenway too. If you yeah. if you sit behind one of those wrong obstructive view pillars at Fenway, uh, that can be a, a tough, <laughs> a tough yes. viewing experience. Yeah, I, yeah I, really, that, really is the same way, and that that's the price you pay for history. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. As, as long as you're not around those, I mean, there there is no better place to see a game. And to your point about yeah. the atmosphere, I really think that it contributed in a lot of ways to why I became such a gigantic baseball nerd as a kid. Because when you're going to Wrigley Field as a six, seven, eight-year-old, the only thing that is there is the baseball game. So you either get into it or it's not for you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's really the perfect age to get hooked on a ball game. Because if, I, I guess if you go to your first Wrigley game when you're older, closer to drinking age, then you get into that scene and you hang out in the bleachers and – that was really never my thing, oddly enough. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, going to Wrigley is like a five-year-old kid. My dad taught me to keep score. Uh, and I have old scorecards from like 1984 that are entirely in my handwriting. So I was five years old and I was there watching the entire goddamn game. And I have to think that the fact that Wrigley was all baseball had something to do with that. And Fenway, as you say, is much the same thing. Fenway is, is extremely baseball without bullshit, yeah. which I think is yeah. phenomenal. Baseball without bullshit. That's, that's a good, that's a perfect phrase. Yeah. yeah. No frills, just the game. Yeah. Uh, what, what year did you go to Wrigley out of curiosity? Ooh, I went to Wrigley on, it was actually my favorite baseball road trip. I haven't really done full baseball road trips other than this one, but I did it maybe 2014-ish, oh, wow. 14, summer of 2014. And I did, um, I actually did a road trip without the road. I did it all by train through the Midwest. So I hmm. flew to Kansas City, um, hit Kaufman, uh, took the train to St. Louis, I hit Bush Stadium, then took 
so trained to Chicago and did both um, Chicago stadiums. Nice. Um, so yeah, I think I think it was summer of 2014 or, or somewhere around there. Nice. Yeah. So you got there just before the Cubs got good and just before all the renovations. Uh, and yeah. so it's, it will next time you go, it will look and feel a lot different. And it definitely feels much more comfortable now than it used to even even just six years ago, like it was. Uh, I can't okay. promise the team is going to be good anymore now. Thanks, Tom. But uh, but yeah, it, it, it will definitely will feel like a different experience the next time you go. And I'm, I'm curious to, uh, whenever you do, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what, what uh, you thought of it, but uh, let's sing the praises of PNC since it's the top of your list. It is number four yeah. on mine, but uh, that, is, that is no knock, uh, honestly, because if, if you changed like any of my top five around and picked any of them number one, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. That's, that's totally cool. Yeah, I, I think PNC is the perfect small market stadium. It's intimate. It feels like the city the backdrop of the bridges uh, in Pittsburgh. I, it, I think it's just an unbelievable stadium. Things are pretty tight in. They didn't put too many seats in that thing. Um, and again, it just feels like Pittsburgh, um, which that city does a really good job of just kind of having its feel for, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the Western Pennsylvania town, it, it, it does a really good job of having those colors throughout the city, but just feels very authentic and just feels like it was built as, the perfect small market stadium. Yeah. You know what my, one of my favorite parts of PNC is in terms of how it feels like the town is that giant spider web of ramps out in left field, that, that circular ramp mm. that you have to keep walking up. Uh, that is the best yeah. way to go to the upper deck in that park. Cause it's just kind of gradually reveals more and more of the skyline and then the river as you go up higher and then some of the bridges and uh, that giant mass of steel, I mean, could not be more Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania than that. And you reach the top and you realize this is also one of the best views in the game and really a park that could not have been planned any better in terms of where they put it and the view of everything, like all of the really underrated skyline of downtown Pittsburgh, the Clemente Bridge, the Allegheny River right in front of that. And occasionally Kyle Schwarber bombs one into it, which is great. Uh, did you go to ever go to Three Rivers Stadium before the park before PNC? I did not. No, I went to a couple games there again when I was in college, and it's that that's an all time leap in terms of one of the dullest parks in the game's history to an absolute jewel of baseball. Like I remember walking into Three Rivers, the best way to describe it was walking with one of my college friends, my friend Dan, who as soon as he saw it, just started spontaneously chanting "Concrete!" Dun, 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 dun concrete dun, 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 dun. and pnc obviously is the exact opposite of that yeah yeah very true yeah so uh fenway is number two on my list where do you have it on yours if it's there so i have fenway i have fenway four i have san francisco too nice yeah san francisco is my third uh so do you want to okay. go on san francisco and then we'll hit fenway yeah so that was that's definitely a park where um i went um when I was probably, uh, probably like 14, 14, 15, 16, somewhere around there, went on a family vacation. Uh, originally was just going to go to one game there, begged my way out of going to museums with my parents to go to the rest of the two games in this series while we were in town. And just being able to sit again, this is where like sitting in the upper deck so you can see the full, um, the full view of the water beyond the stadium. It's just, it's just like heavenly there. 
and right. I, and I love the brick, like the br- the brick too. I think the brick does very well. We'll go with the gay interior design points <laughs> here, but I think that I think kind of that brick view also in the ballpark um, lends itself really well um, to it, and that that giant coke bow too. Yes, is tacky, but but well done. Yeah, it's it's oddly integrated well for something that is so yeah. an ostentatious yeah. advertisement. Uh, and it's it might be just because it's all that exposed steel, like on top of this really immaculate brick ballpark. That yeah, it just it blends for some reason. Yeah. Uh, I remember I went in 2008 on a baseball trip with uh, one of my my college friend Emily and I used to do a baseball trip every summer, and we also met with a couple of our California friends. One of whom, my friend Aaron, who is a casual baseball fan, not a, a super big sports fan, but likes going to games. And I remember we were had upper deck seats behind the plate and kind of stepped out from the concourse uh, onto the seating bowl for the first time. And Aaron just takes one look and goes, this is amazing. And I mean, yeah, there's nothing yeah. you can say other than yeah, I 100% agree. Like it, that, that. It, it was the first park that that integrated having the waterfront right next to uh, the baseball field that kind of made you realize this is um, up until that point, every every ballpark had kind of tried to get in a skyline view. And this was the first one that made me realize there's something that might be better than a skyline. And and because this is yeah. just so gorgeous, like even even Oakland, which you see over left field looks good uh, looking out over Oracle <laughs> Park's left field uh, Coke bottle. Toward, toward the downtown Oakland skyline. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's held up really well too. And the fact that it's not just a right field water area, but the fact that home runs reach it on a semi-regular basis, I think also makes it a little extra exciting. Like it's not just a once a year thing for, for splash hits to land down. And I think something cool I found out this week too about uh, the San Francisco park that I didn't know before I was researching it. Uh, it was actually my piece on Tuesday and out sports is that the uh, Oracle park is kind of indirectly responsible for until there's a cure day there, the giants annual AIDS awareness fundraising promotion, which I didn't realize uh, had started up partly because when uh, their old owner, Peter McGowan took over the giants back in 93, he was going to push for a new ballpark and wanted to get it as a referendum approved by the voters because Sports owners spend 95% of their waking hours trying to get new stadiums out of cities. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he decided was, it's not enough for me to be a baseball owner for this to just be a baseball team. Like, we have to get to know San Francisco as a city and all the communities and make them know that the Giants are reaching out to them and, and trying to bring them into our fan base as well. And one of the ways that coming off of the AIDS crisis of the 80s through the mid-90s, obviously San Francisco is one of the cities that was hardest hit. And uh, McGowan and one of his PR guys kind of had the idea of let's reach out and let's do a visible AIDS awareness day and see if the community responds to this with the idea of just let's be good neighbors and hopefully this will pay off for us later down the line. And they ended up drawing 50,000 people to the old concrete mausoleum of Candlestick Park. And so it was the effort to try to get the new ballpark. And the happiest ending of the story is that voters still told him to piss up a rope. And he said, "Okay, well, I'll pay for it myself. So it's the most successful privately financed park. The Giants won three World Series in the past decade. And until there's a cure day is, I think, in its 28th season, 29th, maybe. Uh, So, yeah. 
And I'm curious to find that's an interesting story. I'm curious to find out from attendees there if that was almost a makeshift pride night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting too because I was looking up, I found this out through their old PR guy. His uh, current firm has a, a long story on their webpage up about the birth of, of the promotion. And he mentioned in the first incarnation of it, because it was 1994 and they weren't sure it was still the mid 90s. They decided that they didn't want they wanted to make sure it wasn't just a gay day at the park. Uh, so they, they really tried to play up the message of AIDS affects everyone and everybody in this fan base uh, might be affected by it. Uh, but they also invited, um, I think it was Clive Jones, the, uh, the famous activist uh, from the 80s and 90s to be one of the speakers before the game. So there was definitely an LGBTQ presence, but it was also something, it was like in conjunction with everybody who was affected by AIDS, which is kind of interesting. And obviously since then, it's uh, as Pride Days have become much more accepted, I'm sure that uh, yeah. LGBTQ angle is, is much more played up. Uh, but your impressions of Fenway as your number four? So, I mean, Fenway is 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 is, is Fenway. I, I really want to sit in the Green Monster seats. I did go to a game two years ago. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the bar that they built inside the manual scoreboard down there. Um, but that is really really cool. Um, mm. I spent. Um, you actually don't need a ticket to the game to get into that. I don't believe. Um, so actually spent the first two innings down there watching the game. Um, but Fenway just has an unbelievable bar scene outside of the outfield fence. Um, you know, if you're, I think if before you go to Fenway for the first time, just like Wrigley, just, you know, be, (laughs) be aware of where you get your seat and make sure you're not behind one of the pillars or make sure you're doing the, you know, the, the view of the, of the stadium to to make sure you, you know, where you're sitting, but, um, it's an unbelievable park. Uh, I'm really happy they haven't done too much to it um, to kind of change the experience at the ballpark. Um, but um, yeah, and and you know the the what makes it original, as you were saying, is that that one lower bowl that they have, right? Um, that pushes all the way back. You know, obviously, if you're sitting towards the back there, you can't um, you don't as much but it feels very authentic to the time and uh, Boston also like Pittsburgh Boston's a city that has that like that dark green color to it and it just kind of fits the city I feel like and Fenway just kind of fits that that city yeah and dark green like the old emerald necklace that winds around through Boston that uh through the uh through the common and through the public gardens and stuff yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. You, you talk about you want to sit on the green monster seats. I want to sit in the red seat out in right field. That that one, uh, the one seat in the right Ted field. Ted Williams field. seat. Yeah, the Ted Williams longest yeah. one in the park. Yeah. Like, something like twenty two rows up, which is just insane. There's there's this phenomenal story from I think when he hit it in forty six that supposedly it hit somebody who had fallen asleep in the bleachers and broke his straw hat, and like the papers found him and he's had some unbelievable like 1946 quote of how far does a fellow have to sit to avoid getting hit in this ballpark or something I'm <laughs> peppered with F bombs and who knows what other slurs. Cause it's Boston. But, uh, but yeah, I feel, I feel like this, I feel like the seats around the pesky pole too are really cool to sit in. Yes. And everybody's like the, one, like the seat right next to the pesky pole. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes, they do. 
I, there was one game. Yeah. Uh, one of the first games I went to Fenway, I, I wasn't right next to it, but I, I would venture to say it would probably maybe 15 feet away from the pesky pole. And it was still very much in the right field grandstand. And yet if a ball had been hit to me, it would have been a home run, which is like also one of the only ballparks you can say that about, which is kind of cool about it. And that dimension is so interesting because it goes from the pesky pole, then it's just that yes. so far. So you kind of feel like if you're in that seating area where it kind of juts back, you feel a little removed from it, even though, mm -hmm. I mean, the pesky pole is right, it's, it's right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, just obviously a super cool park, um, a ton to do around that park before and after the game and just feels like Boston. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, your number five, Theo. My number five is also my most underrated ballpark, Camden nice. Yards. Cam oh, you're going underrated Camden, Camden Yards. Like, I, I have Camden oh, yeah. number five too, and I, I I think it's properly rated. But, uh, okay. but yeah, it's it's so I I actually think so. I think Camden is properly rated like PNC with people that have hit a lot of the ballparks. But I think it's underrated for people that probably watch games hmm. but don't go to game but don't haven't hit a lot of the ballparks. That's a good thought. Yeah, because it's it's, it's not one, especially because it's the oldest of this current generation of retro parks now. Um, well, I guess depends on whether you count White Sox Park as a retro one or not. Uh, they tried to make it, but it didn't really kind of take. But uh, but yeah, it, there have been so many built since then and so many different features have been added to all the new ones that, yeah, I, I could see how it could slip under some casual fans radar that way. And also the Orioles are the Orioles. That is true. That is true. And it, it just feels like it ages very well. Like that's a ballpark that feels like it can be around for another like 80 years and it, it'll still look good. Yeah. It's one of those that, uh, yeah, I'm, even as the current generation of 90s and some 2000 ballparks are being talked about as being replaced, it's, it's one that there would be an outcry if they tried to, to build another new Oriole Park. And I think one of the keys to it being so incredible was the decision that uh, one of the designers made that let's not tear down the giant brick warehouse in right field. Let's see if we can build around it and maybe make something special because what I love the most about visiting Camden Yards, I've been there twice and I got that, that sense both times, is that the way it's designed, it feels like the right field stands would go on forever if they didn't run directly into that brick warehouse. And that's just yeah. such a cool vibe, like, like nowhere else in the game. And the brick warehouse is actually where the uh, Orioles employ, that's where the Orioles offices are now. Hmm. So um, it, that, it's in that warehouse. And that's uh, actually, I think, City Field designed them, designed basically a faux warehouse also beyond the uh, right center field fence. And that's where Mets employees are. So I'm guessing it was kind of based off that, that Camden look. But yeah, I mean, that's great. I'm not sure. Have you ever stood in the um, standing only area behind the right field fence there? Uh, just, any, any of the games? Not during the game. I've, I've stood during batting okay. practice, but, uh, but I haven't okay. really seen any, any like actual game action from it. How's, how's that? Yeah. Feel? That's a great, I mean, you you feel like you're right on top of the, on top of the action. You know, if you, if you get a spot right along the railing there, you're literally right on top of the field and it's not too, you know, the, the dimensions that I don't remember how far out, how many feet out it is, but you feel like you're right on top of it there. And they just have a lot of cool like nooks and crannies area. Um, uh, shout out to Greg Bader, who is um, a member of our LGBTQ sports community. He's uh, the VP of, um, marketing there and i've been to the last few pride nights there through him and they have their 
Pride celebration out in like a center field area. Mm. That's a really cool little event area that you can also watch the game in, and it's right kind of above the bullpen um, there. And they just have a lot of cool nooks and crannies. I'm not sure. Did you ever go to Boog Powell's Barbecue? Oh, hell yes. Yes. On the outfield? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I, really I got cool the pork, feature. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's pork, there's briskets, and I think there's turkey, too. And Boog Powell sits there and signs autographs for anyone who, who recognizes him. And, yeah, it, it's one of the very neat aspects of just a place that is still an incredible place to visit. And, honestly, a place that makes the Baltimore skyline look good. <laughs> I know. There, there, it's, I mean, Baltimore has some great suburbs, but once you get past that inner harbor area in terms mm-hmm. of the downtown, you're, you're wading into, into tough territory there. Um, but yeah, it's perfect. And you can go to the Babe Ruth museum, which is like a few blocks away from Camden too. Yeah. Which is a phenomenal museum too. It's, it's, yeah. uh, Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think it's got the, uh, the bedroom that he grew up in is is part of that. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a great little baseball history trip. So we have, uh, for our top fives, we've named the same five, which is not surprising, honestly, like the, these are all like legit the best you as i said you could name any one of these the best in baseball and i'd be like yeah i could totally see that um as a palate cleanser before we dive into our six through ten uh best food in baseball what what do you got oh so best food so i'm not a huge ballpark food person admittedly i usually try and eat before i go to the stadium Mm -hmm. um but i would say my some of my favorites are very bougie, but the lobster poutine fries at Fenway. Wow. The lobster poutine fries that are incredible. I, I've never um, tried them. I tried a lobster roll at Fenway. That's real good. Really? There's like, it's only at like one or two stands in the ballpark. It's on the one I usually go to is on field level in kind of the right field area. Actually, right, I think, past the pesky pole in that concourse there. Um, and then also there is a um, stand at City Field called... Um, Mamas of Corona. It's based off, it's owned by um, a really famous deli um, that's actually in Corona, Queens, close to City Field. Um, they make an incredible prosciutto and mozzarella sandwich. Mm. Mozzarella um, sandwich. Um, the garlic fries at Yankee Stadium, we talked about earlier. And then, like, the one original, really original thing I had was when I was in Arizona and I had the churro dog. I'm oh, not wow. sure if you've heard of the churro dog. Yeah. No. Um, it's, it, well, it's, it's churro, it's two huge warm churros and ice cream in the middle. Um, oh God. and that was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. That's um, heavenly. Like, yeah. like, I think I need a moment here. Just that, that's delightful. <laughs> uh, and that, it's not actually not a ballpark food, but in St. Louis outside of the, um, right beyond the outfield fence under the highway, they have really good bur- like, um, Cajun food. Hmm. New Orleans style Cajun food, um, which is really good. So technically not ballpark food because it's not in the ballpark, but um, a couple times I've been to St. Louis, I have um, had that and it's really, really good. And it's really like, it's kind of like an industrial area right beyond that fence. It's not part of that ballpark village, um, but it's, they have like two or three Cajun spots that are really, really good there. Yeah. What about you? What you um, yeah. So my favorite city field stand is actually uh, Fuku out in right field. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the spicy chicken sandwich with the Asian spicy sauce you dip it in is phenomenal. Just one of my very favorite ballpark foods. But uh, 
far and away the best ballpark food. And I'm kind of with you. I'm not usually fond of spending 15 bucks on a hot dog. So I tend to try to eat outside the parks, but I make an exception whenever I go to Mil Miller Park in Milwaukee. Uh, it, the, I mean, it's Wisconsin. So the bratwurst and the kielbasa are every bit as good as you think they are. And you have to get them dunked in the secret stadium sauce. Because in the words of Homer Simpson, it looks like ketchup, it tastes like ketchup, but brother, it ain't ketchup. <laughs> like I would cater my wedding with Miller Park food. It is, it is just that good. Uh, and what's great about just that whole state is they cater, they, they, not cater, they tailgate everything like it's uh, a football game. Yes. I mean, I went in towards the end of the summer there um, when they were kind of hovering around 500, but they were out of the playoff picture. And you go into that, you pull into that parking lot and you think that it is a Green Bay Packer game, like it is, or a big time college football game. Like they tailgate everything. Unbelievable drinking state. And um, have you driven through Wisconsin a lot? Or um, I, I am a yeah. road comedian. Yes. Okay. I, I've, <laughs> I, I've been to the Appletons. I've been to the Eau Claire's. I've been to the Fond du Lac's. Yes. So the, the gas stations in Wisconsin having cheese sections that look like they're a full <laughs> supermarket is also my favorite part of just the Wisconsin experience. There's a little slice of heaven just north of the Illinois-Wisconsin border called the Mars Cheese Castle, which, yeah, okay. if you, you have not been, I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. And okay. yeah, they, they tailgate everywhere outside of Miller Park only because in a parking lot you can't figure out how to ice fish. But that's yeah. also a Wisconsin thing, okay. yeah. Uh, let's head back to uh, number six uh, on my, my list is uh, Kaufman Stadium in Kansas City. Ooh. Yes. That's, uh, that's my second most underrated ballpark is Kaufman. It is. As the waterfalls. Yeah. How can you say no to waterfalls? <laughs> it, it is the only place in baseball where you can watch a ball game with the sound of, of waterfalls in the background throughout the entire thing. And It's an awesome I, park. It obviously makes sense, but it wasn't until I visited and actually like heard it myself where I realized, oh, yeah. This is going to be like for the next three hours. I, I love this. And it's also about the only ballpark that's built in the middle of nowhere that still looks great. That somehow they, ma they made one that right across from the interstate still be just a phenomenal place and a beautiful place to see a game. And I, I think it's the waterfalls and it's also the giant crown scoreboard. It's like no other, no other ballpark integrates a team's logo better than the way the Royals do with that one. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's a really great stadium. It's also uh, I, on an unrelated note. I stayed when I went to that one. I stayed at the uh, indoor water park that's right across the street at the hotel. Mm. In fact, they have an indoor water park across the street gets extra points. But yeah, but I, I think and like if if that stadium didn't have um, waterfalls, I, it would probably be in one of the bottom you in baseball right i mean it's amazing how much of a difference that makes yeah having that and you're right it's totally calming and it's just really cool to look out and and see that beyond an outfield then yeah um, it, yeah i agree also, totally underrated totally underrated ballpark also the only ballpark from the 70s that is still around and still looks good because because of that yeah where is it on your list i'm sorry so it's number nine on my list actually cool all right yeah you're yeah. number six my number six is Petco in San Diego. Love it. Yeah, that, that's eight for me. So that, yeah. that, that tells you what this list is. If something that's amazing as Petco can be that far down on it. Yes. And it's, 
I, I mean, obviously, I love outside of left field that that brick building area that they have there. It's also just in a great area. The gas lamp district is right there, so you can go out before or after the game. Um, it's designed really well. It kind of feels like San Diego a little bit. It's got that that San Diego does have a lot of that brown uh, signature Padre color around around the city. So. Um, yeah, also just a really, really great park and really accessible too mm-hmm. within within that city. Yeah, the, the coolest part about the where their warehouse in left field that I discovered mm-hmm. when I went to the game there two years ago is that uh, I saw Eric Hosmer hit one right down the line that clearly was going to leave the park, but you didn't know it was fair or foul. And the way the foul pole is right on the corner of that Western Metal Supply Company building, it means that when it hits that warehouse, if it bounds into the left field stands, it's clearly foul. But if it hits the warehouse and goes into the bleachers or back on the field, it's a home run. So you know right away based on how it ricochets. And I don't think there's any other feature in any other ballpark that's exactly like that, which is just so yeah. cool. And another way outside of the sandstone color that it fits so well into its city is that it's so open towards center field. Yeah. So if you're going on like a Sunday afternoon on one of those cloudless San Diego days, no ball, ballpark design takes advantage of just a gorgeous sunny day better than that. It's, it just feels so bright and blue and feels like the blue could go on forever too. It's, it's, it's a great place to see a game. Yeah. You're not every, every day, every day in San Diego is a, is a sunny day. Um, my number seven is Seattle. Ooh, have not been. Okay. So Seattle, have you been to, I still call it Enron. Have you been to Houston? No, no. Yeah, that's okay. So those are also two that kind of are built similar i feel um what's really cool about seattle i think is the atmosphere outside of the stadium they do something it's not quite fenway it's not quite utah street outside of camden but they have like an outdoor festival kind of wrapping that outside of the stadium which is really cool um it feel it also feels very seattle that whole stadium just feels very seattle you could probably tell that from tv too obviously the train running around up top is is an interesting little feature but um yeah just it, it fits well into the downtown it's got a lot going on outside of it and it kind of just feels like the city awesome yeah that that's uh the seattle one is my scenario of if the if we get a vaccine this summer in time for baseball uh, that either that or the Texas ones are going to be my baseball trip. Okay. So yeah, that that's one I want to get off my cross off my list as soon as I can. Uh, do you think we're gonna have? Do Do you think we're gonna have um, fans and fans from the beginning of the season at some capacity? I think the owners are absolutely going to try to do it. Yes, that uh, it's cities like Chicago are probably going to say no. Nah, we're going to wait until the vaccine is more widely distributed because Lord, the one thing. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's been pretty good on being real strict with, with uh, making sure that teams adhere to the rules like that. But certainly in places like Texas already had fans last year for the yeah. World Series. So, yeah, that, that's a given. They will. I, I think that by late spring, we're going to see at least some capacity at, at every stadium. I think by m- late May, early June, we'll see at least some, and honestly, at the outdoor stadium, you have 25% capacity. It's pretty low risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking to get uh, on the road to one of them this summer, two or maybe two, uh, maybe Atlanta and Miami, try and double it up. I was going to go, actually, um, back in April, I was set to go to Atlanta because I was going to be working the final four. 
um, the NCAA Final Four in Atlanta, and I had actually extended my trip, pushed my flight back to hit one or two games um, at the Brave Stadium, but obviously that did not happen. Yeah. But yeah, looking to get out on the road this summer for sure. Yeah, I've, I've not been to the new Atlanta. I, I went to Turner Field uh, back in 2006, and really okay. the most noteworthy thing about the ballpark is the occasional racist chant. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've heard it's very fan friendly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I've I, heard it's very fan friendly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my number seven is uh, Dodger Stadium. I'm going to another class. Okay. Yeah, the the third oldest ballpark in the game, which is just bizarre for a 1962 facility to be that. But uh, yeah, it is Dodger Stadium. There is no other place like it now. Uh, which is, but it also looks good, even if there were other places like it, because it's it's situated so well in uh in in that uh in that valley and the best part about dodger stadium to me actually is if you go up during the pregame walk up to that fifth level the the highest one uh where it just goes from third base to first base and just take the time to look down and watch a bit of batting practice and just like see the rolling hills in the background and if it's not a smoggy day you see the san gabriels behind that and then this gorgeous green field laid out before you it's it is just an incredible vista to see, to see a baseball game. And, uh, and it also is the most sixties of any ballpark that's left. And, uh, and that makes it cool to me. All right. So this is where we're going to have our debate, even though I only put Dodger stadium one spot lower than you, I put it at eight. I think Dodger stadium is the most overrated ballpark in baseball. Ah, okay. So here's my, here's my, my flaming hot take on this one is that Dodger stadium is Shea stadium with a better backdrop. That's fair. Uh, I, I would say and more history, more history too, more yeah. history. But um, I just think like the color, the way they did the, the blue and, and yellow in Dodger Stadium feels like the blue and orange in Shea mm-hmm. and the outfield too feels like, whereas Shea has the chop shops in the background, which is obviously <laughs> not as pleasing on the eye as, mm-hmm. as the Chavez Ravine. But, um, and also there's just not much around Dodger, like, there's nothing around Dodger Stadium. So, I mean, I, I think I still put it in my top 10, but I just think I see most people that rank ballparks put Dodger Stadium in their top three or four. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you drop yours down a little lower. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously it has a ton of history. It, you're right. The backdrop is, is beautiful and seeing the ravines are beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just don't get a lot out of the out of the ballpark. Although shout out to Eric Braverman. He, um, when we were out there for our sports pride last summer, he brought it to the park for kind of a field day and tour, which is really cool. Um, got to play long games on, on the outfield, uh, in the outfield at Dodger stadium, which is awesome. But yeah, that's, that's my, my baseball. That's my one baseball stadium, a hot take. I would say is Dodger that's stadium being overrated. A good hot take. And, you know, Dodger stadium and Shea were built within two years of each other. So I understand that comp it's, it's the same kind yeah. of, structure in it that both were very 60s parks dodgers decided you know let's actually try to maintain our ballpark where the mets apparently said fuck it sometime in 1975 Uh, and you know there there is something to be said though for the fact that if you've got chavez ravine and i I think the fact that the ballpark is cut into chavez ravine too it's it's not just this giant monstrosity rising out of the surrounding concrete parking lots is, is kind of a neat feature and if you've got all this incredible natural surroundings, take advantage of it. I mean, we've, we've talked about why PNC is great and why San Francisco is great. And a good part of that 
is the fact that they're integrated into what's surrounding them. And the fact that the Mets happen to be integrated into LaGuardia as opposed to the San Gabriel Mountains. I mean, you, if, if you're given the San Gabriel Mountains to work with, work with them, you know? Yeah, and I would say yeah, the, the Dodger Stadium, uh, the Dodger light blue is a little easier on the eye than mm-hmm. the city than the Chase Stadium blue and orange, which very much uh, <laughs> counteracted each other um, yeah. when you saw it on that stadium. Um, but yeah, I mean, all their points. And obviously, people love the Dodger Stadium. I do. I do really like the outfield scoreboard and the design of the scoreboard mm-hmm. at Dodger Stadium and that kind of oval, um, horizontal oval look, which is really really cool. Yeah, um, that is certainly one aspect too that I like about that part. Yeah, uh, I will hit you with my flaming take then, because uh, my pick for okay. most overrated is the old Yankee Stadium. Okay. Yeah, it is. It is one that I first visited back in I think 2003, and I mean we've talked for the past hour about what baseball history means to me. So I kind of felt like you know, baseball history. There is no better place than where Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Mantle played, and and that prick DiMaggio too. Um, yeah. Overrated, but anyway. Um, but I remember walking into Yankee Stadium and looking around and instead of getting the sense of, oh my God, this is where Babe Ruth hits or, oh my God, that's where Lou Gehrig played first base. The only thing that I kind of hit me was this feels like Riverfront Stadium. This is very 1970s. And I, I honestly, I think them gutting it in the late seventies and Steinbrenner rising it really took whatever made it special out of it. Cause it, it felt like you could, I guess, close your eyes because it was the place where Babe Ruth played, but looking around, it was like the opposite of what you, what you talked about with Fenway, where it's still yeah. regardless of the changes. It feels like Fenway park. It did not feel like the Yankee stadium of Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Lou Gehrig and Yogi Berra and Roger Maris and that, it was where Reggie Jackson played. Yeah. Where Reggie Jackson yeah. played. <laughs> it feels like Reggie's still Jackson. great. I mean, not, yeah. nothing wrong with that. But And I think for me, just growing up a Yankee fan and, and 96 through 2000 being my, you know, from 11 years old through 15 years old, like that was the, the history of Yankee Stadium. Like as I started aging with it and as it kind of moved out to, to the new Yankee Stadium, it wasn't so much Ruth and Garrick. It was... Like it was, it was 96. It was, you know, Charlie Hayes making the catch to win the world series. It was, you know, still seeing, you know, the videos of Reggie Jackson in the three home run game. Um, the monument park there is awesome. Did you walk through monument park yes. when you, when you went to Yankee Stadium? Yes, okay. that, that was the best part of the old Yankee Stadium yes. was that felt like a real monument park. Yeah. And again, the upper deck too, um, just hanging over the field, um, you really felt like you were in a really good spot sitting in the upper deck, especially when you're behind home plate or, or anywhere kind of in the, the beginning part of the upper deck. You felt like you had a great view and you're really on top of the action. And just being there for a big game, um, the stadium does shake. And the Bronx has its own New York culture. Like it has kind of a real New York culture. There's not a I mean, there's, there's bars outside of Yankee Stadium. There's Billy's and stands and such. But, um, you know, you kind of go outside of that and you're, you're in a little more dangerous territory. But um, the Bronx has its own kind of culture once you kind of understand New York and, and understand the Bronx. Yeah, it definitely had the energy. Like, I, I absolutely remember that. Uh, like, and that there was nothing wrong with, with what Yankee fans brought. Like, it definitely felt yeah. like it was surrounded by legit Yankee fans. 
Uh, and as you say, there's still, because they're the Yankees, still incredible history in that, that incarnation of it. Uh, it's where Wade Boggs rode the horse after winning the World Series, for example. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I just felt disconnected from like what, what to me, the real Yankee Stadium must have felt like. So, but that's... Okay, fair. Yeah. You yeah. know, I can, I can, I, I would have to tear myself emotionally away right. from, from oh, the Yankees too. <laughs> but I can, yeah. I can see where it, it would it's be. It's where, yeah. you, it's where you yeah. fell in love with baseball, and that's yeah, yeah. 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 And, and that's great, yeah. honestly. Uh, so yeah, my eight, as I said, is Petco. My nine is Tiger Stadium. Uh, what are your eight and nine before we finish off our lists? Uh, my eight is Dodger Stadium, and my nine is Kaufman. Oh, excellent. So yeah, uh, and then my number ten is my pick for most underrated. And it is the former Jacobs Field, current Progressive Field, uh, Neverflow, in, in Cleveland. And that was the first of the retro parks that I visited in person. So it's kind of special to me that way. And I also think, like what we talked about with Baltimore, it is... I was going to compare it to Camden. Yep. Yeah. It, it yeah. has kind of a similar vibe and probably even a similar design to it. But it integrates Cleveland in much the same way that Camden Yards integrates Baltimore. Like... The, the exposed steel and the toothbrush-style light towers are very much like an industrial Midwest kind yeah. of feel to, you know, a, a ritzy ballpark like that. Uh, the left field view of Cleveland's skyline, such as it is, like that's the best possible view you can get of Cleveland, I think. And uh, also, like Fenway, the, the outfield wall design with the big wall in left field and then the different heights as you go further and further out toward right uh, is pretty special. And this is, you know, again, just for me, also the site of the greatest game ever played. You know, that's going to bump it up on my list a few notches. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Cleveland, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, when my dreams come true in a certain place, it gets a little special. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, Cleveland was actually my first, I think I'm pretty sure it was my first ballpark outside of like the general East Coast uh, that I went to with my family. And we actually, the Yankees were playing the, at the Indians, and um, we stayed at the same hotel as the Yankees, which was very cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, it, it feels a lot like Camden. You're right. Um, with kind of the, the, the one higher outfield fence, um, having some pavilions back there, too. Uh, it definitely feels a little more like, like Camden. You're right. It does um, take a little bit of the energy, whatever that energy might be, of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. So I can, I can understand that being 10. Mine is also a Midwest one. Uh, mine is Target Field in Minneapolis. Love it. Which also I thought cool. is, yeah. Um, which I think is one of the better newer ballparks. Um, I think the, the, I mean, usually like that kind of brownish gray is very bad, but I think it, it works well there. It's in the middle of the downtown, which is really cool. Um, and I just like, I just think there's different nooks and crannies in that stadium that kind of make it really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to Target Field two years ago uh, on Prince Night, so they lit the oh, wow. giant, yeah they, they lit the giant canopy above the uh, above the upper deck in purple, which it, yeah. in and of itself is just beautiful. And then we were also seated right next to Target Field's their kind of social area, so it was a bar that was playing nothing but Prince songs for the entire game. So at some point in like the fourth inning, you just randomly hear go, "Is that money don't matter tonight?" And it just like every that, that was my everything. Like I, I loved awesome. every every bit of that park. It's a phenomenal place to awesome. see. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So these uh these are two pretty damn good lists and you know a lot of crossover. Uh but they're you know a ton of great parks even beyond that. That uh America is fine. Uh you know 
Washington and Philly, we mentioned before, are kind of similar, but they're good. There, there's a lot of great and places that I haven't been. You know, I, Seattle, I have not been to Coors that uh, I'm really looking which forward to. Which are your least, well, probably old, yeah, but which, which are your least favorites? What do you think are the shittiest stadiums? Like, I went to a game in the old Metrodome in Minnesota. Yeah. Another kind of, you know, incredible leap from old ballpark to new. Like, the Metrodome, the vibe in there, it's so weird to walk out from the concourse into the seating bowl. And the first thing you see, instead of sky, is just white Teflon. Like, it's almost dizzying. It's disconcerting that much. And <laughs> was with another friend of mine who's just another casual baseball fan uh, at this at, at a Twins game in the Metrodome. And his comment upon sitting down, the first thing he says, he looks at the, at the ceiling and looks at the artificial turf and just yells, it's so fake. And yeah, that, that sums up the Metrodome to me. What's your, what's your least favorite? Uh, I would say Oakland, even though uh, we talked about it earlier, there is a little bit of charm in it kind of being that uh, converted football stadium and slab of concrete. But I would say Oakland. Tampa, is, have you been to Tampa? I was going to go last April before everything went to hell. So, but yeah. Okay. Tampa is probably the, the, my, the second worst, but it's got enough tackiness where it's actually, there's some charm to it. I was hoping. I yeah. find some charm to it. Yes, you'll see. Yeah, you'll see. There, it's it's got some colors and such, and um, that dark blue, and yeah, it's it's a weird place. It just, I think, it embodies North Florida, like that part of Florida, in a way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say Tampa, then maybe uh, I like Toronto. Um, personally, I'm not sure if there's anyone below Toronto, but maybe Toronto for third worst. But I like. Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, baseball needs a couple bad ballparks. Yeah. I, there's something just because as we've been talking about it periodically, they're different, you know, and, yeah. and there's something that's that, as you say, is, is kind of charming about a park that is not constantly trying to impress you with the latest thing or with the cleanest aisles or the best sight lines that occasionally, yeah, I want to see a concrete ceiling somewhere just because that, that's baseball too right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Theo, do you have anything to plug while I still got you here? I have nothing to plug. No. Fair enough. Uh, This has been (laughs) a real pleasure talking about one of my favorite subjects in baseball with you for hour and 10 at this point. This has been great. Uh, Thank you for joining me, Theo. Thank you so much, Kevin.